0: And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, like I said, my name is Eric. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, I would love uh, to have a chance to do that at some point uh, today or whenever you have time. Come introduce yourself. I'd love to say hello. Um, we are in the second week of our series called Anomaly. Anomaly. Um, so last week, uh, Kent talked about just the impact, uh, not just the impact, the impact that Jesus has had on, uh, on our world as a whole. So a- as much disagreement, though, as there is about, uh, about who Jesus was in the world, uh, there is at least one thing that in, in general at this point in history that pretty much everyone agrees on, and that's the fact that Jesus did exist. That's really not debated uh, by, by really any legitimate scholars uh, in, the, in the modern era, regardless of their beliefs about who Jesus really was. Uh, just let me show you uh, just a few quotes from, from some notable scholars. Uh, first is by a man named Bart Ehrman. Uh, he is a New Testament scholar, and for the record, he, he is not a huge fan of the Gospels, just, as a rec- uh, just so you know that. He's not like a huge proponent. He... He actually doesn't really like what they have to say. But he says this about Jesus. I don't think there's any serious historian who doubts the existence of Jesus. We have more evidence for Jesus than we have for almost anybody from his time period. Uh, A.E. Harvey is a former professor from Oxford University, said the following is beyond reasonable doubt from everyone's point of view, that Jesus was known in both Galilee and Jerusalem, that he was a teacher, that he carried out cures of various illnesses, particularly demon possession, and that these were widely regarded as miraculous, that he was involved in controversy with fellow Jews over questions of the law of Moses, and that he was crucified in the governorship of Pontius Pilate. And then uh, Edwin Judge, an emeritus professor at Macquarie University in Sydney, says, An ancient historian has no problem seeing the phenomenon of Jesus as an historical one. His many surprising aspects only help anchor him in history. Myth and legend would have created a more predictable figure. The writings that sprang up about Jesus also reveal to us a movement of thought and an experience of life so unusual that something much more substantial than the imagination is needed to explain it. So, so the question is not so much, is Jesus real? Not, not many people are asking that question just at a 30,000-foot at a, you know, view. That, that's pretty, pretty well settled based on historical context. The question is more, who exactly was Jesus? And, and I think asking that question, if you just ask a group of people, you'll get a pretty broad range of answers, probably. Uh, one of the most popular answers that I, I think we hear today is something along the lines of, he was a, he was a good teacher. He was a good teacher who was around a couple thousand years ago. Essentially, he was a good guy. Uh, He was a pretty effective communicator, said some pretty profound and uh, pretty controversial things at times uh, about life. But that conclusion skips over and ignores so much of what we find and what we see in Scripture. So I think a great place to start in, in trying to figure out who Jesus was was looking at who he said he was. Um, just a heads up, we're going to be jumping around a lot to different passages. I'm going to try to have most of them on screen, I think. But just so you are aware, we're going to be bouncing around a lot. Uh, if you want to see all the footnotes and all these references, feel free to check the PDF later when we upload it for the, with the notes. But just as a heads up, we're going to be all over the place. Um, so Jesus claimed a lot of, of really significant things about himself during his life and during his ministry. He claimed uh, to have the authority to forgive sins. He claimed that he was going to replace the temple in Jerusalem. He claimed he was going to resurrect himself from the dead. He made a lot of other claims about himself too. We, we also see him go to his disciples and ask them in three different gospel accounts. Uh, he goes to his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? And he confirms their answer when they respond and say that he is the Messiah, right, the long-awaited Savior. That's a big deal. It's a big claim. Jesus also said that he lived sinlessly, that he never, that he never made a mistake, never violated God's law. Uh, look at John chapter 8, verse 46. We'll throw it up on the screen, like I said. Um, Jesus says, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? So Jesus claimed that he lived perfectly, right? No slip-ups, nothing. Uh, in this passage, in John, uh, even Jesus' strongest opponents could not find a valid reason to argue with his claims about himself, right? John, who wrote this book, is one of Jesus' closest disciples. He is recounting this interaction that Jesus had with some of the religious leaders at the time, and they, they vehemently opposed him. So they, they did argue with him often, and in this account in John, they were arguing with Jesus and accusing him of different things, but at no point... Were they actually able to prove that there, there was any reason for them to oppose what he said? At no point were they able to show that. They, they just didn't like it. That was really the gist of it, right? So in this chapter, in John chapter 8, Jesus is going back and forth with some of these Jewish leaders about some of the claims that he has been making about himself. And they're really mad. They're really upset about what he is saying, what he is doing. And they do not believe in who he is. Um, they don't believe that he's the son of God. They don't believe that he has divine authority. They, they are just fighting with him in this dialogue. And so he turns around in this passage, and he asks these people who are out to get him, can you prove me guilty of anything? Can you prove me guilty of sin? And they cannot. Right? They, it doesn't make them any less mad. Actually, it makes them more mad when he asks them that. Uh, but they cannot refute his claim that he, that he lives sinlessly. Right? Think about how big of a deal this is. If, if I were to come up to you, anyone in this room, and I, and I say, hey, I think that your husband or your mom or your best friend, I think that they are pretty much perfect. Right? There is not one thing that that person has ever done that they shouldn't have done right? Nothing that they have ever needed to do that they neglected to do. They, they're perfect. Right? You would correctly laugh in my face, right? Do you mean the last 30 seconds? Maybe. But even then, that's, that's kind of a stretch. Like, do you know this person? All right, of course, you can prove anyone guilty of something, right? Well, you know, my husband said he was going to do the laundry before I got home, but... That was in 2017, and he still hasn't, right? <laughs> so liar, of course. That's something that he did wrong. Right? My roommate said they were going to finally do all their dishes. Lo and behold, they did not again. Right, perfect? Come on. It is so easy to point out flaws in people, and it is super effective too, right? That's a, why do you think that's the main strategy that we use for political campaigns nowadays? Right, Just dragging people through the mud of like, well, if I can distract you with all the bad stuff that they're doing, you will not have to look at what I'm doing. But it's so easy, it's so easy to find something in everybody's life that they are doing wrong. Right? We have no problem pointing out people's shortcomings, even for the people who are closest to us. But here in this passage, Jesus turns to his biggest opponents. He looks them in the face and he says, Go ahead. Try to prove it. Try to prove that I have done something wrong, right? I've shown you my work. Show me yours, right? And they're stumped. They cannot come up with anything. They cannot do it. Jesus lived his life perfectly. And not only did he say it about himself, right? His closest friends and his closest followers who saw his life every single day, they also backed it up. They saw his life up close and personal, and they still claimed that he was the Savior, the Messiah, that he was perfect. They witnessed his life up close, and they said, This guy is worth giving up everything. He is worth following because his claims about himself are true. They seem to be true. Even Jesus' own half brother, James, he wrote a book later on in the Bible called James, it's very creative. Uh, but he came to believe that Jesus was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh. Those of you in the room who have siblings, take a second and just think about them. What would it take for you to be like, yeah, he's the son of God, right? Not which of your siblings think they're God. That's a different question. We can all think of that one, right? It's probably the youngest. We're guilty of that. But, hey, I'm the youngest. We're the best. I'm just saying. But that's a, that's a lot, right, to have your own brother say, no, he's, yeah, he's proved it. Right? Jesus was perfect. He never got wrongfully frustrated when his friends messed up or when people didn't understand him. He, he didn't envy anyone. He never looked at anyone lustfully. He never lied. He never cheated. He never stole. He never struggled with pride or or greed. Jesus lived in complete perfection. Even the closest thing to accusations or wrongdoing that people had uh, was they said that he was guilty of blasphemy because he claimed to be God, which if he was God, is not blasphemy. And they claimed that he was born out of sexual immorality, which if his mother was a virgin... That's not true, and even if it was, that is not a sin that he committed, right? So today, I want to spend our time talking about why all of that matters, right? Why does Jesus' life matter? Why does the way that Jesus lived his life matter? Why, Why is that significant? Why is it such a big deal that Jesus is the only figure in history that we have seen to both claim to be perfect and also, never have anyone refute that claim. And, and more than that, why, why should we want this to be true? Why should we want Jesus to be more than just a good teacher? Why should we want Jesus to be more than just an ethical guy? And I, I think there's, there's three main takeaways uh, for, for us today in regards to Jesus' life. So the first is Jesus' life means that he can be our example. Jesus' perfect life means he can be our example. Um, So 1 Peter chapter 2, just to give you a couple different examples. 1 Peter 2 uh, says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Uh, And again, in, in John, the book of John chapter 13, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done. For you. And there are plenty of other examples, but if you have been around here for any amount of time, chances are you have heard us talk about how Jesus is our example in all different aspects of life, that we should be looking to Jesus as our example. I know it's become cheesy over the years, uh, but asking the question, what would Jesus do, truly is the question that we should be asking. Right? Jesus shows us what it looks like to live how we were meant to live. Jesus fulfilled every single requirement. Jesus checked every box. He did everything right. His life was exactly what we should be striving for. So when there's difficult people in our life, we look to the way that Jesus interacted with and loved difficult people. When when we're faced with opposition or, or we're faced with challenges, we look to the way that Jesus responded, when he responded with boldness and, and perseverance and love. When we're faced with incredibly difficult decisions, we look to the way that Jesus approached the Father with prayer and humility. We, we look to the way that he laid down his own desires and his comfort for the sake of others. We, we look at all these different aspects of Jesus' life. That is our example. Jesus shows us what it looks like to fully trust the Spirit, right? Whenever we have the question, like, what am I supposed to be doing? What do I do here? We can can look to Jesus as our example because he did everything perfectly, right? Jesus' life also, I I think, is is beautifully freeing for us because he is our example. He frees us from, from some of the the chains of bondage that we experience in our life, Jesus shows us what it looks like to live a life full of contentment. Jesus' example, when we look to him, helps us push back against the lie that we are defined by our circumstances or our stage of life. Jesus was not married and had no kids in a society that considered your lineage to be your resume. Jesus was a single guy. Jesus was essentially homeless, right? Matthew and Luke both tell us at different times that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has no place to lay his head. Jesus relied on those around him, relied on his followers financially to support what he was doing. Jesus was opposed and rejected by incredibly influential religious figures around him. Jesus was beaten and murdered, not lifted up, not respected, Jesus shows us that we do not have to be enslaved to what the world around us thinks or says. We do not have to be held down by the pressure of the world saying, you have got to look like this to matter, or you have got to have this in your life to be significant. We don't have to be driven by the desire for approval or or material possessions or status or comfort or any of the other things the world tries to throw at you. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live a life free from the weight of other people's opinions and criticisms. How beautiful is that? How freeing is that to know we have an example of what it looks like to to live free from all of those pressures that we experience every day, You don't have to be defined by anything other than the identity and security offered to us in Jesus. Right? We can look directly to his life as an example of that. As an example of what it looks like to live in that kind of freedom. But his life isn't just an example for us in the way that we can live our lives. Right? Jesus' life also means he can be our substitute. Jesus' life means he can be our substitute. So in order to understand this concept a little, a little more fully, you need a little background information. Uh, if you aren't familiar uh, from the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, we see multiple times there's instructions uh, for sacrifice for God's people. Um, we don't do this today. Honestly, to a lot of us, it seems pretty weird and archaic and uh, just odd, uh, but it was a very common practice in, in Scripture. There are, there are lots of commands throughout Scripture about it, but specifically look at Leviticus 22 twenty one it 's talking about uh, uh, instructions for sacrifice. It says when anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. so the sacrifices given as a payment for for sin or for, for whatever else is happening the, the, the sacrifices had to be Without defect or blemish, is what we're told in these, in these instructions. Perfect sacrifices in order to satisfy the requirement of paying a debt. Which, it, it makes a lot of sense if you, really, if, if you really think critically about it. So, a debt is incurred with sin. A debt that has to be paid for. So, with any other debt, uh, it can't be paid for with other debts. Does that make sense? So imagine there's a guy, and he goes to a bar or to a brewery. He, uh, he's, he's got a tab open, and he has quite the night, okay? He, he runs up the bill, uh, quite a few drinks for himself, starts putting everybody else's drinks on his tab. He brings a group of friends with him. Uh, he's just grabbing strangers, put it on my tab, right? He is running it up. And at the end of the night, he owes a chunk of change, right? He owes a lot of money. But he leaves without paying. His card gets declined, whatever. His tab's still unpaid. It's open. So now let's say that same guy comes back the next night. Same bar, same guy, same people working there. Uh, They obviously tell him like, hey man, you've got to settle this tab, right? You've got to pay your debt. Now imagine he says, I hear what you're saying. And... I would like to put everyone's drinks on my tab, right? If they don't throw him out, uh, they're at least going to look at him like he's a crazy person, right? Dude, you you can't take on all this other debt until you settle yours. Right? You owe way too much to cover somebody else's. But if someone else were to walk in off the street, someone... Uh, who, who doesn't have any debt there, who has the ability to pay. So let's say like Bill Gates walks in or like Rihanna or another recognizable billionaire, okay? They walk in and they're like, hey, I would like to cover the cost of everyone in this room. They're gonna be like, absolutely. Like whatever you say, Mr. Gates. No one's questioning them. Everyone knows that they can do that. Everyone knows that they can pay. They can cover it, right? They, they can take that debt on themselves because they do not have an outstanding debt of their own. Right? That, that is exactly what Jesus does for us. Now, I do want to acknowledge uh, the irony. Probably the first time you've heard Jesus' sacrifice compared to a hefty bar tab. But uh, I do think it's a helpful analogy when, when you really think about it. Because if, if you have a debt of your own, you are not able to cover someone else's. Look at how it said in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Right? Jesus was the sacrificial lamb without blemish or defect like it talks about in Leviticus. Jesus was the one who was able to go before God and say, I have no debt of my own, and I want to pay theirs. I want to take that cost on myself. I want to pay their price once and for all. So so through Jesus' life, he proved that he was able to live without a debt. He proved that he was able to take on the cost of everyone else's sin. Right? That is something that we desperately need. We desperately need it. That should be the best news in the world to us. Right? No matter how highly we think of ourselves, we are incapable of covering our own debt. Completely incapable of paying our own way. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, in the sermon about pride. The, The idea of a good person... Does not exist. It doesn't. We see an interaction between Jesus and and a man in Scripture referred to often as the rich young ruler. Um, I'm going to put this interaction up on screen. Luke chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 18, he approaches him. It says, A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. So this, this guy approaches Jesus. He walks up to him and he calls him good teacher as a, as a sign of respect, a sign of, uh, of admiration. right? But, but Jesus does not acknowledge that, that he is a good teacher. Jesus doesn't thank this guy for his compliment, for his high praise. Jesus responds to the guy by saying, there's no such thing as good people. Right? There's no, it's not good people and, and bad people, right? It's, it's God and bad people. And so Jesus' response is, hey, I am either not a good person or I am God. That's how Jesus responds, right? Jesus completely dismisses the idea of, of being a good teacher, a good person, this myth of a good person. He just writes it off immediately, because we are, we are not able to be good in that sense, right? We, we have a massive debt. We exist in sin and in brokenness. Just, just like the story that, that I just told, our debt needs to be paid. Our debt needs to be paid, but we are completely unable to pay it ourselves. Right? That, is, that is the beauty of Jesus as our substitute. B- because of who Jesus was and, and because of what jesus did we're not defined by our mistakes anymore because jesus is our substitute we are not reduced to the sum of our actions we don't we don't have to be anymore the identifying thing about you is not liar it's not cheater thief drunkard adulterer failure Those things are not your identity anymore. Do we still sin and fall short? Absolutely, we do. But because of Jesus and because he is able to be our substitute, we are not just our mistakes. That is not the truest thing about you anymore. His perfect life means that he can be your perfect substitute. And we're going to talk more about the, the beauty of that in detail next week. Uh, yeah, but but Jesus' impact doesn't just stop with paying our debt. It doesn't, it doesn't end there. Jesus is able to do an ongoing work on our behalf. Right? So Jesus' life means that he can also be our mediator. Jesus' life means he can be our mediator. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, this was what we read at the beginning, verses 14 to 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Um, So there's a a couple really important things going on in this passage, and I'm going to try to be quick about it um, so that I can try to explain everything and why it matters so much. So first, uh, pay, pay close attention to verse 15. It says that Jesus is our high priest who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Tempted in every way just as we are. So what that's telling us is Jesus understands what it means to live in a broken world. Jesus knows what it feels like to live in a a world that is affected by sin. Jesus understands what it means to, to face trials, to face suffering, to face pain, physical and emotional pain. Jesus knows exactly how it feels to be tempted in every way. Scripture tells us Jesus did not sin. It does not tell us that Jesus was not tempted to sin. He was tempted in every way. Jesus can empathize with us. He can relate to us on such a deep and personal level. He knows what it feels like. He is not distant. He is not removed. He was right here in the trenches with us. He he gets it. And then at the end of that verse, it says, Yet he did not sin. Right? Jesus understands everything that we are going through. So he can, he can deeply and personally relate to us. But he also lived perfectly. He did not sin. Which means that he can stand face to face with God as our high priest. So a high priest, for, for context, was, was appointed by the people uh, And once a year, his job was to make sacrifices for himself and on behalf of God's people to pay for sin. That was his role, to make sacrifices for the people to cover their sins after he paid to cover his own. So his job was to act as a go-between, the high priest. A go-between for for God and God's people. But the author of Hebrews tells us that that we have a, a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Other places in the book of Hebrews, it talks more and more about this idea of Jesus being our high priest. And we're told that, that Jesus mediates and intercedes between us and God. Jesus stands between us and God and speaks on our behalf with his authority, knowing exactly how it feels to be where we are. Jesus advocates for us to the Father. This is such a beautiful picture. Because Jesus is both intimately and personally connected to us in such a deep way, but he also possesses the utmost authority. This would sort of be the equivalent of like your best and closest friend in the entire world who knows you more than anyone in the whole world knows you. And they are also your lawyer in a courtroom where they have irrefutable evidence supporting you. Right? This is a person who, who knows you so deeply and also can fully represent you. Right? This could also be compared to, to a healthy family relationship. So my wife Sarah and I are having a, a baby in like two months. And so for quite some time, he is not going to be able to speak for himself. He is not going to be able to stand up for himself in any way. Right? So as his parents, we will be able to speak and act on his behalf for his good. Right? And, and as his parents, we are going to be the ones who are best equipped to do that. We will know him deeply. We will know him better than anyone else will know him. We are going to care about him and love him more than anyone else could. And we're going to be the ones who are responsible for him. So in any situation that comes up involving him, I am going to be able to advocate for him and mediate and intercede for him. I'm going to be able to speak on his behalf. I'm going to be able to protect him and be his representative because I have the ability and I have the authority to do that for him. That is what Jesus does for us. Jesus is able to go before God the Father on our behalf and say, I have already paid their debt. I have taken care of the cost. And now you can count my righteousness towards them. My righteousness can be counted as theirs. Jesus' perfect life gives him full authority to approach God's throne and speak for us. He, he is able to be our mediator, our great high priest. If Jesus was only human, he would be able to relate deeply to us. He would. But, but there would also be no hope for us. Right? If Jesus was only human, he would have sent, He would have fallen short, and he would have just been another guy. But if Jesus was only God, he, he may be able to show us exactly what holiness is, but it would be utterly unattainable for us. He would be so far out of reach that we could never draw near, never dream of drawing near to close, close to him. It would be so, so far out of reach. But that's the beauty of who Jesus is. So that's what I I want us to really think about and and ask the question uh, today. I, I want us to ask the same question that Jesus asked his disciples in the Gospels Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? Because what Jesus, based on what Jesus said about himself, We only have a couple options. If we look at all of the claims that Jesus made, that he was sinless, that he was the son of God, that he was the savior, that he was going to raise himself from the dead, all of these massive claims about himself, we don't have very many choices of of how to respond. Jesus either has to be exactly who he said he was, and he is Lord over all creation, Or he was making it all up as part of an elaborate ruse, and he was was a bold-faced liar. Or he was a lunatic, right, who spent his time just spouting nonsense. Those are the only options. Jesus has to either be Lord, liar, or lunatic. That's it. Those are the only choices. We, We can't pick and choose different pieces about Jesus' life that we want to hold on to or or that we want to disregard. We can't say like, I like this part about Jesus, that part's kind of weird, so I'm going to toss that out. We can't just say, Jesus seems like a pretty good guy who seems like he had some profound thoughts and some interesting things to say. we can't do that and not also acknowledge all the things that he said about himself that, that were not just being a good guy or a good teacher. The claims that Jesus made were too massive and too consequential to be ignored. He had to be telling the truth or he had to be lying. Those are the only options. Right? The reality and the beauty of Jesus' life offers us so much more than an interesting historical figure. So much more than a guy who had a few profound ideas. Jesus' example shows us what it means to not sin, what it looks like to live a life free of sin. Jesus' substitution for us means that he, he stands in our place when we do sin. We are not able to live perfectly. We're not. And and Jesus' life also shows us that we have nothing to prove. Jesus, acting as our mediator, gives us a Savior who who understands what it means to exist in a broken world, who understands what it means to be rejected, who understands what suffering is. Jesus' life gives us a mediator with the Father, with full authority. Full authority and, and also who cares deeply for us. Who who wants so badly to be in relationship with us. That is what Jesus' life does. That's what that's what he has accomplished for us. So so what are we going to do in response? Right? Because not doing anything is, is not. An option, right? We can't look at Jesus' life and walk away unchanged. We can look at everything that he said and everything that he did, and we can either accept it or we can reject it. That is it. But how beautiful is it that, that Jesus welcomes us in with open arms? How beautiful is it the lengths that he was willing to go to to make a way for us to be restored into right relationship with the Father. How incredible is it that he looks at us and says, I did this all for you. Jesus, Jesus wants to be your example for your life. He wants to be your substitute. He wants to be your mediator. He wants you to accept who he is, he wants you to accept the realities about His life and what He accomplished on your behalf. Right? He loves you so deeply. That is what He wants for you, and that is what He accomplished through His perfect life. So what we're going to do in, in just a second is, is what we do every week. We, we take communion together, um, and we, we always try to remind people what the act of taking communion is. And, and we, are, we are responding to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Like we saw in, in, in Leviticus that Jesus was, was the perfect, spotless sacrifice, the blameless sacrifice that was required to pay for our sins. And he, he did that freely, freely for us so that we could be restored in relationship with the Father. So that's what we do when we take communion. We come and we respond to the reality of who Jesus was and and what his life means. What it means for us now, not just what it meant when he was here, when he was walking the earth. We get to respond to the things that Jesus did for us to make a way for us to be in relationship with the Father. So that's what we're going to do here in just just a minute. You can come uh, take Communion at any point during the next few songs. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to come by yourself. You're welcome to come with your life group. You're welcome to just come with people who are around you and and do that together as we respond. But I invite you to, to pray with us as we close.